Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dreaming of the world That we may dream as one With every voice, with every song We will move this world along When you tuned in last week for Spirit in Action, you may have noticed that we had a rerun of an earlier episode. And that was because the entire week was wrapped up in preparing for an awesome event sponsored by the Board of Directors of Northern Spirit Radio, which we called Broadcasting from the Heartland. And yes, it was truly awesome. Great speakers, great music, great pizza. But as promised, I'm bringing you some of the evening's riches today. When we were planning the program, we knew that we wanted to do something in advance of the upcoming presidential election, something that was not partisan, but would help our communities be wiser politically, wiser in terms of what we were able to be together. I'm so grateful that we had some very passionate, willing, wise workers for democracy who were willing to make the three-hour drive up from Madison to help us out. We're going to go now to the wonderful Fellowship Hall of Grace Lutheran Church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, to listen to Matt McCabe and Matthew Rothschild, enhanced by some music from Peter Lighty. I'll let Northern Spirit Radio board member Damian O'Brien introduce Mike McCabe. As a Peace Corps volunteer in the country of Mali in West Africa, back in the late 90s, excuse me, late 80s, early 90s, Mike is also the previous director of the nonpartisan and watchdog group Wisconsin Democracy Campaign for 15 years. I think that deserves some applause. A lot of what we do know that should be much more transparent and easier to get at is due to that organization and the work that people like Mike and now the next speaker, Matt Rothschild, have put into it. Mike stepped away from that, and Matt Rothschild took the lead for the Wisconsin Democracy Project to keep that going. So over the last year or two, Mike has founded and is the president of the Blue Gene Nation. He also authored a book called Blue Jeans in High Places, The Coming Makeover of American Politics that he published in 2014. And he's got some good things to share with you. So if we could get Mike right here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Damien, and thank you all for coming. Thank you for caring about Northern Spirit Radio and being willing to pitch a little bit into the bucket to help this fine organization continue to operate. Damien mentioned some of the things that I'm doing now or have done in the past, but when I think about why I'm here tonight, it, it doesn't have to do with what I'm doing or what I've done, but rather who I am. And all you really need to know about who I am is that I grew up east of here on a dairy farm. And that shaped everything about me. It shaped my politics. It shaped me as a person. And it's the reason that I'm here tonight. I learned about the importance of service to others 
I learned about the concept of the common good from the people I grew up around. I learned those things when I was a part of barn raisings. And I've been a part of two different barn raisings in my day. One after a neighbor lost their barn to a fire, another after they lost one to a tornado. And to see people from all around the area come together and put up a barn for a neighbor teaches you an incredible lesson about being there for each other. And it teaches you all you need to know about the common good. Then I, I learned perhaps my most important lessons from a man who didn't have a high school diploma, who was dirt poor, but who taught me incredible lessons and was probably my most important teacher because he drove down the road and on his family's Alice Chalmers tractor and drove into our field when we were buried up to our axles in mud trying to harvest corn and he hitched a chain to our tractor and he pulled us through the field to harvest our corn weeks after his father hung himself in a shed because the family was about to lose their farm, the bank was foreclosing and was removing that family from the land that they had owned and run for generations. And yet, even then, after such a loss, such personal trauma, he felt that it was a duty, an obligation to help a neighbor when they needed that help. And of course, we returned the favor and we helped that family harvest their crops the same way he helped us, but weeks later, that family was removed from their land. That kind of thing burned into me forever. The importance of neighbors helping neighbors, it burned in me forever, the idea of service to others. And so now, I look at the political landscape today, and I see people at each other's throats, I see the ugliness that you see, you see people who are talking past each other, who don't know how to talk to each other anymore, as neighbors should be able to talk to each other. And I think back to the people who were my first and most important teachers and how they helped me. And that's the spirit that I see in Northern Spirit Radio. And so it's why I'm here. I assume it's why you're here as well because this is a voice in the wilderness at a time when people have increasingly lost the ability to understand one another and talk with each other, reach out to each other. Here's this little voice coming out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, that is showing us a way, a way out of the trap that we're in. But, you know, I, I did run the Wisconsin democracy campaign for 15 years. I got very good at tracking money in politics. I got very good at describing the transactions between all those donors and, and the recipients of all that money and, and what they did to benefit those donors. And, and then I decided that maybe there was somebody who could do this even better than I could. And Matt Rothschild stepped into the void created when I decided to step away from that role. And I started something called Blue Jean Nation, and I've had this great blessing this past year and a half or two years. I've had a chance to travel to every nook and cranny of this state, to small towns and medium-sized cities, and I have had meetings with people in taverns, in bowling alleys, in churches, in libraries. 
I've met people in barns. I had a couple of meetings in an old feed mill. I have met people in the darndest places, and it has been such an extraordinary journey. And what I've found is, I think, perhaps our greatest challenge as a society. You see the political landscape now. You see what's gone so terribly haywire with our political system. And you see all of that, of course, playing itself out before our very eyes in this year's presidential election. You see the ugliness. You see the dysfunction. But to me, maybe the greatest challenge of all that we face is our own growing powerlessness. The feeling among so many people that they're losing their own faith in their own capacity for leadership. They're craving leadership, but they don't trust that they have it in them to provide that leadership. There's this sense of powerlessness. And I continually run into two words. When I talk about how we could get to a better place, I continually run into two words. And they're two words that I not only want to share with you tonight, but I want to challenge you to perhaps even think about removing from your vocabulary. So often I talk about the immense problems facing us, and I offer, I offer a solution. I offer a suggestion. I offer a hint of how we might get out of the trap. And people say, yes, but. And then, of course, they fill in the blanks. Yes, but. The... And so I run into people who are, they argue about our government, and some people see it as the solution and others see it as the problem. Or I hear people arguing about welfare, and some people see it as, as a safety net and others see it as a hammock. And those people are talking past each other. They don't understand where they're coming from. They certainly don't know how to connect with each other, and they don't know how to get that conversation to a place where there could be a meeting of the minds. So one of the things I say is, shouldn't we be talking not about about the welfare programs that we have today, shouldn't we really be talking about how to create an economy in this country where if you work, you won't be poor? Yeah. Shouldn't we be talking about creating an economy that would allow us to remove the words working poor from our vocabulary? Yeah. And it's amazing that suggestion can get people who see those welfare programs as a safety net or, or as a hammock, it can get them talking to each other. Maybe even talking to each other in a way that they haven't talked to each other for a very long time. And yet you say, well, shouldn't we be talking about creating such an economy where if you work, you won't be poor? Shouldn't we be talking, for example, about having a $15 an hour minimum wage? And they say, yes, but wouldn't that hurt the economy? Wouldn't that kill jobs? People forget that the minimum wage has been raised more than 20 times in our nation's history. And never once did it send our economy into a downward spiral. Never once did it kill jobs. The economy continued to grow. More jobs continued to be produced. But they say yes, but. And shouldn't we now, especially, shouldn't we be talking about creating educational opportunity? Shouldn't we be creating education that is as, as affordable for our kids and grandkids as it was for us, as past generations made it for us, and people say, yes, but how, how could we possibly afford that? And people forget that past generations of Americans created a system of public education, free public education, all the way through high school. And they, they found it within their means to pay for it. 
And why did they do that? It's because they were working the land and they suddenly realized that more and more of their kids and grandkids were going to be going off to factories or offices and would need more education. My dad had an eighth grade education as a dairy farmer, but he knew deep down that his kids would need more than that. Well, today I, I ask those audience, audiences who say, how could we possibly afford that? I ask them, do, do you seriously believe, do you believe in your heart that a high school diploma today is a sure pathway to the American dream? And they say, of course not. I say, well, then what are we arguing about? Why are we saying yes, but? Why are we saying that we can't make education as affordable for our kids and grandkids as past generations made it for us? And I say, all we need to do is elect people committed to doing things like creating a $15 an hour minimum wage, creating an economy where if you work, you won't be poor. We need to elect people who will be dedicated to creating education that is a, as affordable for our kids and grandkids as past generations made it for us. And they say, yes, but they've gerrymandered all the districts and they've rigged all the elections. So we can't possibly elect the kind of people who will go do those things for us. And again, it's that I run into that sense of powerlessness, that helplessness. And people forget that gerrymandering of legislative districts was not invented in 2011. It's a practice that is as old as the Republic. And over and over, generation after generation, found ways to get past that obstacle. And one of the critical ways that we get past that obstacle is by making sure that voices of reason and sanity and voices committed to social justice and voices committed to economic justice are heard throughout our country. And what do I hear but people say, yes, but what about Fox News? And what about Rush Limbaugh? And what about the corporate media that has a stranglehold on the messages that go out to the population? And what about this, their, their capacity to propagandize the population? That is why I'm here tonight. Because yes, Fox News does this. Yes, Rush Limbaugh does this. Yes. The corporate media do this. But the answer is to not fret about what we can't control. We can't control the fact that Rupert Murdoch wants to put huge amounts of his personal fortune into creating a media empire that allows his message to, to reach every single person on this planet. We can't stop Rush Limbaugh from spewing his poison to his 13 million listeners. And the answer is not to try to create our own Fox News or our own Rush Limbaugh show. Our answer is to create 10,000 such outlets, 100,000 such voices in every nook and cranny of the country. Small efforts to make sure that voices of sanity and reason and social and economic justice reach the ears of people starving for leadership. Northern Spirit Radio is if it's anything, it is one of those such efforts, one of those attempts in this vast country of ours to get voices to people, to get news and information and insight and inspiration to people who are starving for it. And it's by supporting this effort here and people supporting 10,000 such efforts all across this country 
That's how we ultimately beat Fox News. That's how we ultimately overcome the poison spewed by the likes of Rush Limbaugh. And we can't simply say they have too much power. We can't say that they have rigged the process against us. We have to rediscover our own power. We have more power than we know because we have ultimately the most important thing, the thing that matters most, and I, I share this with just about every audience I talk with, I tell them what Cesar Chavez told a young college student when that student wanted to know the secret of organizing. Cesar Chavez, of course, was the legendary farm worker organizer. He organized masses of agricultural workers to stand up for their rights and he changed dramatically the, the landscape of worker rights and, and helped energize the union movement across this country. And when Cesar Chavez was asked by that young college student, what is the secret of organizing mass movements? He said, you talk to one person. And the kid said, no, 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 no. I mean, how do you organize mass movements? And he said, you talk to one person, and then another, and then another. And that is what we can do. That's what Northern Spirit Radio can do. That is what every one of us can do, is we can talk to one person, and then another, and then another, and then we can reach 1,000, and then we can reach 10,000, and we can reach 100,000, and we can eventually get those voices of reason and justice and sanity and decency, human decency. We can get those voices to enough people and change enough hearts and minds to once again create an environment where our values, simple values like equality and social justice and economic justice, service to others, concern for the environment, where we can get our values again reflected in public policy here in Wisconsin and across the country. So thank you again so much for coming here, caring about what Mark and all the others are doing with Northern Spirit Radio. Thank you for giving me a chance to share these thoughts with you. If you can, throw a little bit more in the hat. Make sure this operation keeps going and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks for coming. Mark said that there was at least one person who wondered if there was an opportunity for some quick Q&A before Matt comes. So if, if there is a comment or a question, fire away. Um, any questions? Are you running for office? I, I am not running for office. Why not? <laughs> Thank you for that comment. I uh, have, up to now at least, I've focused on trying to, to inspire others to rediscover their own capacity for leadership and their own the own power that resides within them. I've been surprised but delighted that since the founding of Blue Jean Nation, more than two dozen people decided to run for a variety of different offices around the state, taking the ideas behind Blue Jean Nation and putting them to use in, in bids for office. That's what I've been trying to do so far. It's been music to my ears wherever I've gone. I've heard people say, yes, we're running for office. I've seen local communities start up their own local groups and then use those groups to create conversations that ultimately lead to them recruiting and grooming candidates for local office, for town boards and school boards. But we've got people running for state assembly, state senate, even Congress, who've taken the ideas behind Blue Jean Nation and have been inspired to run for office. 
that's what I live for, at least so far. But I appreciate your comments, and I, I do take them to heart. Yeah. Hey, um, I was wondering if you connected with people in black communities in the city, and and what kind of response you've got? Yeah, you know, I, I get a chance. I, I get a chance to, to go all over and speak to every imaginable kind of audience. I go to college campuses. I've spoken in churches. I and I do have a chance to go to places like Milwaukee, Beloit, Racine. I've had a chance to speak with audiences of African Americans, Latinos. It's funny. I was in in Appleton recently at an event and was speaking, and the person said, "There's no black people here." You know, you're not speaking to any black people. And I said, well, not today in this room, but that's because there aren't very many black people in Appleton. And I have to go where, where black people actually live. What I find is that there's, you know, there's more in common between these audiences that assume that they are vastly different and have nothing in common with these other areas of the state. They fear each other. They think they're enemies, and yet they have so much in common when I listen to what they have to say. I think we've been taught to think of each other as enemies, and we've been taught to think and talk about politics in ways that polarize us. And one of the things in my book, I have this chapter called Thinking Vertically. You know, we've been trained to think horizontally about politics from left to right, liberal and conservative. And a magical thing happens when you flip that spectrum up on its head and you think vertically instead. Who's on top? Who's on the bottom? Who has the most money? Who has the least? Who has the most power? Who has the least? Whose voices are heard? Whose voices are ignored? And some of the people, maybe an African-American in Milwaukee, a white farmer in, in Clark County where I grew up, they think of each other as enemies. You think of them as enemies, as, as political opposites. And yet, if you think about where they are in that, on that vertical political spectrum, they're exactly in the same spot. They have so much in common. And part of what I've tried to do with Blue Jean Nation is play a role in trying to build bridges of understanding between urban and rural communities and hopefully help bridge those gaps, bridge that divide, because we have, we have a, an, ex, an extremely polarized political situation where rural Wisconsin is voting heavily Republican, urban Wisconsin voting Democratic, yet the interests of these people are remarkably similar if you go and listen to their stories and hear what they have to say. So when I talk to urban audiences, I try to acquaint them with some of the frustrations and resentments that rural people are feeling. And when I go to rural areas, I try to acquaint them with what I hear from urban people living in, living in inner cities. I, I just think that's so incredibly important to help bridge that gap of understanding. And there again is where I would say we need 10,000 Northern Spirit radios. We need those efforts to help sow the seeds of understanding where there's mistrust and where there's fear and even hatred. We need to help people see that they've got, got more in common than they perhaps have been led to believe. Thank you. That was Mike McCabe, founder of Blue Jeans Nation, bluejeansnation.com, 
who shared the keynote speaker position with Matt Rothschild a week ago for Northern Spirit Radio's Broadcasting from the Heartland event held here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, but with a message for the whole nation. I think we're all dealing with the same issues across the country, and Mike tackles the root issue so well. And we're going to enhance Mike's work with some music crafted by his musician and activist friend, Peter Lighty. Peter's great in his own right, but he can also add significantly to Mike McCabe's message and the event's theme with his music. We'll have a video of Peter Lighty's presentation on Northern Spirit Radio's YouTube channel. But here is Peter Lighty. Although I'd really hoped that you could join us here tonight in person, Peter, I'm glad that you could squeeze in a video visit with us from Michigan. Wisconsin is all the better for the fact that you got trapped in Madison when you were passing by 30-plus years ago, including the songs that you used to do regularly for public television and all the talks, keynotes, and workshops you do. But you and I connected around Mike McCabe and Blue Jeans Nation. So why don't you introduce yourself to our assembled supporters and share the song you created for Mike and the Blue Jeans Nation revival. Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Lighty here, reporting in from a kitchen in Michigan. Mark, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me to be there. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for bringing light to the world through through a lot of things, but, but certainly through Northern Spirit Radio and programs like Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul. If I were there with you guys right now, not only would I sing a live version of the A Nation in Blue Jeans song that, of course, we all know is based on the Neil Diamond classic, Forever in Blue Jeans, but I would actually see if Mike McCabe would come up on stage and dance with me. I mean, we could turn that into like a whole different twist on a fundraiser. I mean, the possibilities just, it's mind boggling. And I, I it, it's, but it's also, it's not gonna happen because I'm, I'm not there. But wait, I don't need to be there for Mike McCabe to dance to raise money. Now do I, <laughs> right? Am I right, Mike? <laughs> You're welcome, Mike. Yeah, so I I guess I'm just going to test this out with you guys, if you don't mind. This is totally uncooked, all right? It's just a, a song I'm working on. Um, it's about the Senate, the U.S. Senate race in Wisconsin. It's a medley that I'm working on that starts out like this. One term, Ron, that's all for you. We do not even know just what you do. One turn wrong, we're gonna go with Russ again. One term for Ron Johnson, that's the only term you'll see. We've come to our senses in Wisconsin, back to Russ for you and me. It's a medley, working on it working on it. Hey, everybody. Enjoy the pizza. Money talks. Wants to silence us. Yeah, money talks. And since the powers that be just won't see, we'd much rather be a nation in blue jeans. 
since you asked We're neither elephant nor ass Homeless politically We'll just have to be a nation in blue jeans Maybe today Maybe we will find a way to get out of that trap Nothing to lose but the ooze of the usual crap Money talks Money rules the parties Money talks since that money doesn't make us free, we'd much rather be a nation in blue jeans, babe. Yeah, money talks. Citizens United, you know, money talks. Folks like us in the driver's seat will be so sweet, a nation in blue jeans. Peter Leidy's great adaptation of a song originally by Neil Diamond. So glad that Peter could share it for today's Spirit in Action. There's a link to Peter Leidy's website on northernspiritradio.org, which is where you'll find the 11 and a half years of our programs available for free listening and download. There's a website hungry for your comments to transform this into two-way communication. There's a donate button, which is the miracle way we fund this full-time work, not with government or corporation support, but with the goodwill of listeners like you. Donate when you're able to, but in order to get the word out from Northern Spirit Radio and thousands of other willing workers for the healing of our nation and the world, we need you first to support your local community radio station. They are so crucial. So start by giving of your hands and of your wallets to make them thrive. And now back to last Saturday's big event sponsored by Northern Spirit Radio, Broadcasting from the Heartland. Next up is a tireless worker for democracy, Matthew Rothschild, introduced by Northern Spirit Radio's board member, Damien O'Brien. Our next speaker is another remarkable career and person. He is Matthew Rothschild. I'd just like to start out with uh, something I found out there on what his life has been about, and it definitely echoes what we've been talking about here. Matthew Rothschild has dedicated his career to advancing issues of peace, democracy, social and economic justice, civil rights, civil liberties, equality, and a preserved environment. Back in uh, 1981, in the early 80s, he was already investigating corporations like the IMF and the World Bank and doing investigative stories and reporting on them for the uh, Multinational Monitor. In 2004, he edited a book called, he didn't edit it, he wrote it, a book called You Have No Rights, Stories of America in an Age of Repression. And unfortunately, since 2004, that's becoming more and more evident for too many people. He also has been, up until this year, the senior editor and chairman of the board of directors for the Progressive Magazine, 
Matthew has worked with some really interesting authors. They include Wendell Berry, Molly Ivins, Howard Zinn, and he also, as of January of this year, took over, as we've talked about, executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. And my favorite story about Matt, which I think really represents who he is, is there's a number of us, uh, some in the room here, and uh, we stand for peace once a month on a corner, and we started doing that before we invaded Iraq, leading up to the mess we have now, or having a lot to do with the mess we have now in the world. And we were, at the time, in front of the university, and this gentleman comes up and joins us, and uh, it was Matt, I suppose we were in town for a forum series or something like that at the university as a guest speaker, and here he is out there standing with us for peace. And, I think he's a real down-to-earth, genuine person, and we're real lucky to have him here, so I give to you Matthew Rothschild. Thanks so much, Damien. Yeah, that was a fun little rally. It's those kinds of actions that I think are, are most important. You know, you could go to Washington and be in a rally with 100,000 people, and no one would know. But if you're out on the corner of your own town, you know, people know who you are, and they might ask, you know, why the hell were you out there in this cold weather, and, and what's that all about? And then you can engage in actual politics. And I do remember those days leading up to the second Gulf War. I remember going up to Wausau when there was a big rally, I think it was February 15th, right before the war started, and it was cold as hell out. It was about 14 degrees out, and the wind was blowing. It must have been a wind chill below zero, and, and there were about 600 protesters out there pro-peace, anti-war, but definitely pro-peace. And then there was a group that I suppose now is behind Donald Trump, a group of foot soldiers for war. And they were you know, trying to shout us down while we were talking and speaking. But that was the kind of event that I think we need to do more of. And it's much better to do it here locally than it is to get in a, in a bus and go all the way to Washington. So I love these local protests. I was just this morning at the 25th anniversary celebration for Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice down in Madison. And a woman there has been doing a peace rally for 35 years outside, even 10 years before the network started. Rallies for peace outside the post office in, in Madison and Martin Luther King and Doty Street. So, you know, and I, whenever I pass them by, I honk and occasionally once in a while I get out and walk that picket line too. So that's the kind of work that I like. So thanks, Damien, for reminding me of that. I want to salute Northern Spirit Radio and Mark and, and Andrew, who I had a great time talking with on the drive up from Madison today, and all the great work that you're doing. You know, where do we go in this world? Where do we go in this country for insight, for wisdom? for inspiration, for just conversation, and I mean real thoughtful conversation. You know, we don't can't find it on cable, really can't find it on cable. We can't find it on the FM dial very often, occasionally maybe here, Wisconsin Public Radio. I like Wisconsin Public Radio. I think sometimes we get good conversations there. But the places are fewer and further between. And, you know, Northern Spirit Radio, I remember Mark interviewed me once, and he wasn't fishing for a sound bite. He didn't want to, you know, turn the crank on my back and just let me regurgitate the speeches that I give all over the place. He really wanted to probe and see what made me tick and what I was about and how I came to the thoughts and perspectives 
that I have. I mean, it was a real conversation, an adult conversation about serious issues, about politics, about ethics, about morality, about spirituality, about how do we make sense of this crazy world, and it's getting crazier. And it wasn't a, a two-minute show, you know. It wasn't a five-minute show. It wasn't even, you know, 20 minutes. It was a full 55-hour show. I mean, where do you get to have that kind of conversation and sit down and listen to that kind of conversation except in places like Northern Spirit Radio? And that's what's so unique about the work that you do and so vitally important, that we don't take the time to sit down and converse with one another and actually have conversations. Mark knows how to conduct a conversation. He listens. He didn't just go through, okay, Matt, here's question number one. Where'd you grow up? Here's question number two. You know, where did you go to college? Here's question number three. What was your first job like? It wasn't like that. We had a conversation. He listened. He responded to my answers, not off the script that he had, but off what I was saying. And that is a skill that a lot of people don't have when they're interviewing someone on, on radio or even on TV or even in debates. So I'm very grateful for the work that you do and that everyone here does for Northern Spirit Radio. And I wish you all the successes in the years to come. And I do thank everyone for supporting Northern Spirit Radio and urge you to keep supporting it. You know, I've been doing nonprofit progressive media work for 36 years now. And it's never easy. It's never easy making budget. I was the editor and publisher at the Progressive for about 25 years. And we would have about sometimes just two weeks or three weeks in the bank of money. And that's not a, a fun way to proceed. And so, you know, I became a glorified telemarketer by night and, you know, would beg people for money. And so there's no shame in that, really. And we need to support our, our medias because, you know, the six conglomerates that run the TV shows and that own all, almost all the newspapers, the one radio conglomerate that owns 1,200 radio stations across the country, they don't give you what Northern Spirit Radio gives you. And so that's why we need to support our own voices. And I do think that the alternative media in this country is much richer, actually, than it was when I got started 36 years ago, when there was nothing like the internet, and we couldn't have uh, Democracy Now! and Amy Goodman. But I like the individual voices, too. I like Mark's voice. I like David Barsamian's voice. I, I like the idea that we have people who are thoughtful, who are trying to figure things out and interviewing interesting people in a skillful and wise way. Uh, we need more people like Mark doing Northern Spirit Radio. So I thank you for, for supporting it, and I'm delighted to be here. It's always fun to come up to Eau Claire. It's a beautiful drive. Andrew and I saw, uh, I want to say, six to eight Sandhill Cranes and a, a couple bald eagles, a couple red-tailed hawks on the way up, and the colors were beautiful even though it was gray out. And your colors are peaking in the way that they have not down in Madison. So. It was a beautiful fall drive up. But, you know, I want to talk just for a little, if you'll indulge me, about what's going on in this state. And maybe if you're interested in my ideas about what's going on in the country, I'll answer a few questions. I don't tell you who to vote for or who not to vote for. But I want to say this about what's happened in Wisconsin, because we are open for bribery. Wisconsin is open for bribery as never before in at least 120 years. Just on Monday, I testified at the Wisconsin Ethics Commission, which is half of the reincarnated government accountability board which was disgracefully destroyed last year and i was there because representative dean knutson up in hudson has formed his own political action committee as a sitting legislator and i went before the wisconsin ethics commission to say 
this is absurd, it's illegal, and it makes a mockery of our ability to impose reasonable limits on donations to candidates and to require adequate disclosure that our democracy depends on. Next day I get a letter from the Ethics Commission saying they rejected our complaint. Well, let, let me just explain how absurd it is, because if I'm a sitting member of the assembly, like Representative Knudsen is, and I set up uh, the most my richest friend can give me if I'm running for re-election is $1,000, and I have to disclose that my richest friend has given my campaign $1,000. But what I can do is I can set up my own outside organization now. I can call it, you know, Matt Rothschild is the greatest pack, or something even obscure like Badgers for Eternal Victory. And I can tell my richest friend, don't give me $1,000, don't be a chump, give Bev, give Badgers for Eternal Victory $10,000 or $100,000 or a million dollars. And if we just do this so-called phony issue advocacy, like call up Matt Rothschild's opponent and tell him to stop being such a scoundrel, here's his opponent's phone number, you know, these phony issue ad groups, my billionaire or multimillionaire friend never has to disclose that he gave Bev $100,000. So I can get the benefit of a donation a thousand times the legal limit and no one will ever know about it. That's how absurd things have gotten here in Wisconsin. And of course, we saw how absurd they'd gotten uh, with this scandal involving Scott Walker and Wisconsin Club for Growth that was exposed in the Guardian newspaper just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, essentially, what Walker was doing, he was using an outside group, Wisconsin Club for Growth, which was run by his campaign strategist, R.J. Johnson. He, Walker, supposed to be working for us as governor, was running all around the country, sitting on the laps of millionaires and billionaires, and telling them to write out checks to Wisconsin Club for Growth. Uh, he wasn't uh, using it for Wisconsin Club for Growth. They weren't giving it because they loved Wisconsin Club for Growth. Hell, they'd never heard of Wisconsin Club for Growth. They knew they were giving it to Scott Walker for Scott Walker's campaign to stay in power in the governor's chair and giving it to the Republican Party of Wisconsin so they could hold on to the legislature and so they could hold on to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. This was the shell game they were playing. And now it's going to happen more than ever because of this ruling by the Ethics Commission or by our decision by the Wisconsin Supreme Court back in July 2015 that ended the John Doe and said, this is the crazy thing that the Wisconsin Supreme Court justices said, at least the conservatives. And the conservatives, remember, the four conservatives on that bench benefited by $8 million in expenditures by some of the very same groups that the John Doe prosecutor was investigating. Wisconsin Club for Growth, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. So this is what, in fact, those four justices should have emblazoned on their black robes the initial WMC, because the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce bought them those robes and bought them those chairs. But this is what they said when they threw out the John Doe. The First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States forbids the state of Wisconsin from banning coordination between a candidate and an outside group like Wisconsin Club for Growth. Problem is, 40 years of US Supreme Court precedent have said just the opposite, that you can't coordinate if you are a candidate with an outside group. These decisions were predicated on the assumption, and you can argue with the assumption, and I do, but their assumption is the direct contribution to the candidate is more corrupting than uh, independent expenditure by some outside group. Their assumption was the independent group is actually independent of the candidate. But of course, the Wisconsin Supreme Court erased that line 
between the candidate and these outside groups. And so I was hoping that the U.S. Supreme Court was going to take that case. And of course, a couple of weeks ago, even though some courageous district attorneys in Dane County and Milwaukee County and Iowa County appealed that to the U.S. Supreme Court, they decided not to take the case. And so that's where things stand right now here in Wisconsin. There's no way for us, even if we had the most enlightened legislature and the most enlightened governor, there's no way to block coordination now between a candidate and our outside group. And after the Ethics Commission ruling, no way to block coordination between a candidate and the candidate's own outside group that the candidate sets up and runs. So that, that's a bit of an absurdity. The other thing that's really gotten us quite far down the corruption hill here in Wisconsin is this rewrite of the campaign finance law. I mean, there's the destruction of the Government Accountability Board, the getting rid of the John Doe prosecutor for legislators, but also the top-to-bottom rewrite of the campaign finance law that happened last November. And I was up in the Senate gallery. I was about the only civilian up there. There was a legislative page up there. This was November 6, 2015, last November. There was a, a young page up there, and there was a state police officer up there, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and it's me. And I saw the shenanigans that the Republicans, led by Scott Fitzgerald, majority leader, were pulling on the, on the Senate floor, rewriting this uh, legislation to, number one, in the statute, allow coordination. Number two, double the amount of money that people can give directly to candidates. So if I'm running for governor, people can now give me $20,000 and not $10,000. And of course, who here can write a check for $20,000? Not many people. Here in Wisconsin, the equality rule is rich and poor alike can give $20,000 to the governor if they want. I mean, that's their idea of equality, and that's an absurdity, but there you have it. And they also allow for the first time in 111 years, corporations can now give directly to political parties. Corporations, right out of their treasury, can write a check to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, Republican Party of Wisconsin. Furthermore, the multi-multi-millionaires can have more influence than ever. They can write unlimited checks, checks for unlimited amounts to political parties. It used to be $10,000. That was the limit. If you wanted to give $10,000 to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, you couldn't give a dime to anybody else or any other organization doing political advertising during election season. Well, a, a Supreme Court decision, the McCutcheon decision, threw out the aggregate limit of $10,000, but that didn't mean that the state of Wisconsin couldn't impose a $10,000 limit on contributions to political parties. But they didn't. They tore down the ceiling. So in actual fact, you've had millionaires in Wisconsin, multi-multi-millionaires, billionaires actually, giving million-dollar contributions to the Democratic Party and million-dollar contributions. Someone else gave a million-dollar contribution to Diane Hendricks from ABC Supply. So, to the Republican Party of Wisconsin. Now you might say, well, that equals out, doesn't it? That's not my idea of equality or of democracy. Our democracy should not be a spectator sport where all the citizens are on the sideline watching one billionaire on the left and one billionaire on the right, or 10 billionaires on the left and 10 billionaires on the right playing tug of war. We are all supposed to have an equal tug on the rope in a democracy. We're all supposed to have an equal say. You and I don't have an equal say. Almost everybody in Wisconsin, everybody in this country, we don't have an equal say. Jimmy Carter told us almost a year ago in a, in a, in a radio interview with Tom Hartman, uh, we're no longer a democracy in this country. We've become, this is the direct quote, an oligarchy with unlimited political bribery. An oligarchy with unlimited political bribery. So true. And, you know, this is an eternal fight in our democracy. Thomas Jefferson, almost 200 years ago, to this day, said we must crush in its birth 
the aristocracy of our moneyed corporations. Well, they're not in the crib anymore. You know, these guys are monsters now, and they're trampling all over our democracy. And so this is the problem we face. But there are solutions. And I am very excited about one possible solution, and that is the solution, amend the Constitution, to say once and for all the corporations aren't persons and money isn't speech. And thankfully, here in Wisconsin, we are almost leading the parade on this. We are second only to Massachusetts in the number of communities that have passed referendums or whose city councils or county boards have passed referendums saying they're in favor of this amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the 28th Amendment, the amendment that would proclaim that corporations aren't persons and money isn't speech. 78 communities have passed that by overwhelming margins. I know Chippewa County and Eau Claire County have passed them. Now on November 8th, 19 more communities will get a chance to pass it. And it passes everywhere by overwhelming margins. Even in Red Red Waukesha, it passed by 69%. This is a bipartisan thing. A poll came out in the last year. 84% of the American public thinks money plays too big a role in our politics. 80% of Republicans agreed with that. 78% polled said these outside groups that splatter our screen with mud should be regulated. 73% of Republicans agreed with that. So there's huge bipartisan understanding of this importance. People know our democracy isn't working. I was talking to a high school class in Mount Horeb three weeks ago, and I told them, you know, what you learned in seventh grade civics class, maybe what you learned in this very high school is not the way things work, because our democracy is not working right now. And I told them about a study from a, by a professor at Princeton named Gillens, G-I-L-E-N-S, and Northwestern, Benjamin Page. They studied 20 years of public policy decisions, 1,800 different public policies to see who had sway over that policy, who had influence over that policy, who won, who got what they wanted. And you know what their conclusion was? The people do not rule. The people do not get what they want. Majority does not rule, that's a direct quote. In fact, the majority do, never gets what it wants. We never get what we want as citizens, except in one circumstance. And you know what that circumstance is? When the 1% in the business community wants the same thing we want, then we get what we want. Other than that, we don't get what we want. So that is not really a functioning democracy. That is the definition of an oligarchy or a plutocracy. And we've got to do something about it. And the way to do something, the best way to do something about it, I believe, is to amend the U.S. Constitution. I mean, we can elect a different president who can appoint a different justice, but, you know, that can be turned around in four years. Right? And it's kind of a a morbid game to play the actuarial tables on Supreme Court justices you don't like. Why don't we solve the problem fundamentally? And the way to do that is to pass this constitutional amendment. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But we are in, we got we to gotta take the long view. I mean, think of the people who overthrew apartheid. They didn't think it was going to happen tomorrow. I remember in college, we went, there was someone from the ANC, the African National Congress, who came and spoke to our group in college. I was active in the anti-apartheid movement. We went out for drinks and cheeseburgers afterwards, and we said, can we buy you a drink? He said, I'm not going to have a drink of alcohol until we're free in South Africa. And we just thought, wow, that's crazy. Uh, and, you know, that was 1980. In 1989, apartheid fell. You know, that's change. That's how change happens. And so, you know, I'm looking at the long view here. We're, we're in a five to ten year struggle here in Wisconsin just to get a decent government back. It's not going to happen only on November 8th. I don't think we should kid ourselves. Let's just do the work we need to do to get there in five or ten years. And maybe we're in a ten or fifteen year fight to overturn Citizens United and amend the Constitution. But I'm up for that fight. But I'm not passive about it. I, you know, it frustrates me when people say, 
you know, the pendulum's going to swing back. It always swings back. Well, you know, history is not a, a metrodome. It's not a grandfather clock. And there's nothing mechanical about the pendulum swinging back. In fact, the pendulum can just about fly off its pivot at any moment. And it looked like, you know, during this presidential year that the pendulum was going to fly off and the whole thing was going to crash. So, you know, I want to give the pendulum a shove. I want to give the pendulum a shove in the pro-democracy direction here in Wisconsin and around the country, and I hope you'll help me give it a shove. I'm an impatient person, though. You know, and, you know people think 10, 15 years, that's a long way off. Why are you doing that? I'm as impatient as you are probably more so. It's a character flaw that raising three children never cured, and i, and I got to work on it. I am an impatient person, but I do think you know we will get there. And I just want to end with this beautiful little stanza from the Irish poet Seamus Haney, who died a couple years ago. He's got a poem called The Cure at Troy, and in this poem, he has this phrase. He says, once in a lifetime, the long for title wave of justice will rise, and hope and history will rhyme. We need to make hope and history rhyme, and we can do it. Thanks very much. Some stirring words for the Workers for Democracy, thanks to Matt Rothschild, formerly with the Progressive Magazine, currently at the helm of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. There are links on northernspiritradio.org. Plus, there's some extended Q&A with Matt as a bonus excerpt on the site. My deep gratitude to Matt and also to Mike McCabe of BlueJeansNation.com, who came not only the extra mile, but the extra 180 miles to speak at our fundraising event, broadcasting from the heartland last week. Thank you all for making a difference, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.